Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. Hey. So in this episode of the podcast, I speak with Dr. Paul O'Donohue. He's the chief scientific advisor of the Scottish Wildcat Haven. I first spoke with Dr. O'Donohue a couple years ago when I first learned about the Scottish Wildcat. Um, And I learned about their plight, about how they are one of the most endangered animals on the planet, the most endangered cat on the planet, um, one of the most endangered mammals, and incredibly rare and elusive to track. Paul himself has only seen, I think, three or four in the wild. Um, And when I last spoke with him, like the the conditions were dire, but it was a pretty straightforward way of trying to protect them. They were trying to protect as much land as they could. But at the same time, the biggest issue was this hybridization of these wildcats. It could be anywhere between 30 and 100, probably closer to the lower end. So probably, you know, I've heard 50 again, but it's very difficult. They're very elusive, but trying to keep them as pure as possible and not have inbreeding with domestic cats. What he was doing is he was going around and making sure neighbors and people would uh, neuter their domestic cats. So the Scottish wildcats would not breed with them or they vice versa. You could have this pure bloodstream so you could retain the lineage of the Scottish wildcat. However, in the past few years, things have gotten a little bit more dire. Some of the, the protected land right now, well, not even some, a significant portion of the protected land is being, um, I guess it's being eyed by the government for wind farms and for logging. And what they're trying to do is kind of greenwash some of this. Oh, you know, we're building wind farms. Well, they're building it in one of the few places that the Scottish wildcat can call home and one of the few places that... Um, you know, actually, it doesn't even make sense. According to Paul, it doesn't make sense for a wind farm to be. It's really craggy and rocky and just not a not a great place for this anyways. But there are some serious pushes to get this in motion. So, you know, it was a very interesting conversation. Um, I got to admit, like halfway through it, I started to feel a little bit bummed out, right? I mean, I, we had this this talk a few years ago about the great future of the Scottish wildcat. I really thought things were going to work out for them. And then within two years, pretty much a, I mean, I don't want to say a brand new, but a a threat comes and completely eclipses the existing threat that we thought was the primary one of this inbreeding. So now obviously he's, him and his team still have to focus on this uh, issue with making sure they don't, they stay genetically pure. They don't inbreed with other domestic cats. But then on top of this, it's like a fight for their lives or the Scottish wildcats' lives to make sure that their uh, you know, territory still remains intact. But while I felt a little disheartened halfway through, um, Paul wasn't. Paul was optimistic the entire way uh, and pulled me out of my, uh, you know, my bummer mood. But the big thing is there's a lot of people power behind this. While the government might be thinking about things in a way that, that uh, isn't considering the Scottish wildcat or isn't considering keeping them wild. They're trying to put them in zoos. They're trying to, I think they wanted to use 5 million pounds to put them in zoos where 
you know, if Paul and his team had 3 million pounds, they could keep them in the wild and they could remain, retain them as the way they are. But while the government's trying to do that, the actual people of Scotland and around the world are banding together. And uh, I think he's got close to a million, maybe at this point, a million signatures on this petition to to save the Scottish Wildcats territory. So at the end, it was a, you know, it is a positive story. There is definitely a lot of hope. As always, I really enjoyed talking to Paul. He's incredibly positive and incredibly optimistic and very passionate about what he does. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's been great to join you again, Brian. Looking forward to catching up. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot to catch up on. I mean, uh, clearly we've had COVID. Clearly it's been a couple of years since we've talked. Um, how have things been? So extremely busy. Um, and uh, on, the, on the Wildcat front, um, so things are, things are desperate now for the, even more desperate than they were um, when we spoke a couple of years ago. Um, there's a, we've identified a key population of Wildcats um, there's 13 at least in in a, in a forest called Clash in Darroch Forest. It's in Aberdeenshire, northeast um, Highlands, and this population um, is now threatened by logging. But interestingly, the logging is being done by the UK government, by the Scottish government, and there's also plans, which is almost unbelievable, to extend the wind farm in the forest, um, which again. Is being is a joint venture between um, Vattenfall, which is a Swedish government-owned company, and Forestry Land of Scotland, which is a Scottish government agency. So we're in this horrible situation where, in my professional opinion, at the moment, the biggest threat to the wildcat is the government itself, who's actually mandated with protecting it. Now, um, we launched a petition. Um, it was about two, about j- just under two years ago, and the remit on that petition on that petition was to generate interest about this population of wildcats. Fast forward to where we are now, we have nine hundred and fifty thousand signatures. Wow. So we are knocking on the door of a million, which makes it one of, if not the biggest, British wildlife petition of all time. So that is now giving us a huge public voice to to. Um, talk about this issue and bring it to the fore and and this is why i'm very keen to speak to you as well because it's no secret that a lot of our supporters in fact a lot of our funders um are u.s based you know there's a lot of people in the u.s who have a strong scottish heritage and they're very proud of that and and they're, they're very upset with what's going on with the wildcat as we discussed last time the wildcat is is on the m is is the the clan badge for a number of big big scottish clans um so yeah, we're we're in a, we're in a fight to protect the last major population of wildcats, and and I and I put it like I put this in context this way: the Scottish wildcat is currently seventy times rarer than a giant panda. Now, would you bulldoze a forest with thirteen pandas in it? Simple as that. Yeah, I remember we when we first chatted. It was, um, I mean. It seems like the the situation's more dire now, but by then it was the the most what the rarest cat in the world and one of the rarest mammals in the entire world. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what spawned that that like heel turn of the government? Because 
when we last chatted, things felt really good. It felt like the government was behind you. The, you know, people were behind you. Um, but now it, it doesn't quite seem that way, at least from the government perspective. What, uh, you know, how did that transition happen? So, so I mean, what I will say is that the, the people, uh, you know, the public have spoken on this issue and they're, they're, they're firmly behind us. I mean, like I say, you know, a million people on any position is, mm-hmm. is, is, is mind-blowing. So, you know, we have, we have um, captured the public imagination and captured the public's concern about this issue, and we're very proud of that. Um, I think the Clash in Derrick Forest, um, it's, it's valuable from a financial point of view. So, you know, profit is being put before the wildcat. Now, you know, obviously we live in a, in a capital-driven world, um, but at some point you have to say, enough's enough, guys. You know, this animal needs protection, it needs saving. And what price can you put on the continued existence of the wildcat? Well, to me, it's utterly, it's utterly priceless. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm pretty sure that um, a lot of people listening to this would, would agree. I think you mentioned COVID at the start of this chat. And, and, and in, a, in, a, in this current COVID world and in, in post-COVID world, if we get there, people have... The, the one saving grace is people have realized the importance of the environment, the importance of functioning ecosystems. And what we've actually realized is it doesn't matter how much your country has, it doesn't matter what your GDP is, you can't actually get away from what we are. And we are animals and we need functioning ecosystems. So what price do you put on animals like the wildcat, on apex predators, on other keystone species? And I would say there is no price to put on it. You have to. We have no choice. We have to protect them. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder how much of this, you mentioned COVID as well. I wonder how much of this is spawned by that, like with, um, you know, the, the economy picking back up kind of nation or worldwide um, and uh, more opportunities and people uh, looking to get back to work. I don't know. That's how it is in the States. I can't really speak for how it is in Scotland, but um, I, I mean, the, the... The thing is, like it, you know, this, this issue was was predates COVID, so this hasn't this isn't isn't, isn't in response to COVID. Um, I just think COVID has has, has given people um, a magnifying glass on the on the importance of the natural world to to us, and that's why you know. But, but I think the governments have to catch up now. With I think what what excites me or, or gives me a bit of hope as a as a conservationist is that actually the the man on the street. Um, is fully aware now of, of, of environmental issues. And actually, I think the governments need to understand the level of, of consciousness and awareness of, of the general public now and actually start to to not patronise people and not greenwash. Because how many times yeah. do we hear yeah. about green energy? You know, the, the Scottish government is currently talking about a, a renewable wind farm. And that sounds great. And, and let me just clarify this right off the bat. As an organisation and an individual, so Wark at Haven and me as an individual, are completely pro-renewable energy. Sure. Are completely pro-green energy. But if you tell me in Scotland there are lots of, of, of hills with no trees on that would be ideal for wind farms, so why would you clear uh, the most important forest for wildcats? That is a price that's too high to pay for that particular renewable energy scheme when there are other sites available. So so that's where we are. And I think and I think the governments have to understand that um 
people are aware now that you know just just saying the word green or saying the word renewable is not enough it has to actually be backed up with that what you're saying is sustainable is actually sustainable yeah yeah tearing down old growth uh, like this forest you're talking about is is kind of the opposite of green, even if it's for, uh, you know, green energy, especially if you're mentioning there's other opportunities, there's other places in the area that you can put these wind farms that you can probably, um, you know, harvest this lumber if needed. Precisely, precisely. Uh, that is frustrating. I was hoping to uh, to get some some good news on, on the, the wildcats themselves. How is their how have their populations been trending? So, the populate the, the the key thing about the Waka is, and this is this is both its attraction uh, and and its charisma, but also makes it a difficult animal to work on. Is elusive. is they're so elusive? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know. Put it this way, I I I know a wildlife cameraman guy who's worked on snow leopards, and and he's seen I think he's seen six or seven snow leopards. He's only ever seen one Scottish one Scottish wildcat, and he said it was the most exciting wildlife experience of his life. <laughs> So that, so that gives you an idea of the elusiveness, and I get excited talking about it. You know, I've seen three Scottish wildcats in, in the wild. Um, I've seen lots on camera traps, but I mean, actually, you know, kind of face-to-face, as it were. Um, and they're just, they're just so elusive, so charismatic, so hard to find. But that means, because they're so elusive, it means that they can be... Um, kind of victimized for that during the development process because people don't think they're there or people think that you you can't prove that they're there so you know that that is both part of the real magnetism but it's actually and this this is the bit that i find distasteful the very essence of this animal is is wilderness is wild is secretive is elusive is mysterious and we're betraying it because of that we're punishing that animal for that and and that that sits really uncomfortably with me just because something's hard to find and hard to conserve mm-hmm. shouldn't mean we should pretend it doesn't exist. And I think that's the, that's really what, what motivates me. That's what, that's what really gets me fired up in the morning that these animals are out there and they're doing their job and, and they're staying out the way they're, they're fulfilling their ecosystem function. And because we can't see it, we live in a very visual, visually stimulated world. If we can't see it, we think it doesn't exist. But the wildcat does exist, only just, but it still does. And every individual is utterly priceless. And we need to find them and protect them. And in terms of an actual number, I would say the population is between 35 and 100. Probably towards the lower end of that estimate. Yeah. When we last spoke, it was around, and you know, these were estimates then and there's their estimates now. But it sounded like there were 35 in the West and there was this new population yeah. in the East yeah. that were discovered of like 13. And there was a, yeah. a bit of a thought kind of to trans, to relocate some of those um, from, you know, reintroduce the two populations to each other. Um, uh, is absolutely. that underway? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, that the, the problem is with that is that, that, that that's the long-term management plan. We're actually dealing with a situation where we actually, actually have to make sure these things are protected first. Right. So we're in a kind of emergency situation, emergency situation where, you know, we have to ensure the protection. Um, and and there is there is, um, and I think I again I think it's a cop out, but there is a a drive by the Scottish government um, to 
to just focus on captive breeding for wildcats. Now, yeah. you know, some people will have opinions on zoos and whatever else. Now, I, I, I used to run one of the biggest zoos in the UK. I was the operations manager, um, and I understand how zoos work, and I've worked in a number of zoos, and I've visited zoos um, all over the world, and I've worked on, on some good zoo conservation projects um, overseas. And, you know, um, so I understand the system. But for the wildcat, taking cats into captivity and breeding them will not save the Scottish wildcat because you have to deal with the issue of its extinction first. And this is the bit that, that always frustrates me about captive breeding programs. It's easy because what you can do is get an animal in a cage. You can get a politician to stand next to that cage, take a picture, put it in the media, get a film crew in there. You can film a birth. You can put a camera in a den. Mm-hmm. It's easy. And people have the false sense of security that the animal is being saved. But whilst those animals are focused, whilst there's a captive focus, inevitably the wild population suffers because people think it's job done. And you're not removing the initial reason for that animal's um, demise. So that's why I, I am I am against captive breeding for the Scottish wildcat and from and for the vast majority of, of situations and, and species. And um, because it just doesn't work. It's very, very expensive. Um and it dist- and it detracts rather than benefits the um the wild population. Now there are some success stories, you know, Californian condor um is, is one mm-hmm. and there's a couple there's a couple of others. Yeah. Um but if you think about how many animals are actually in zoos and how many successful reintroductions you can people can name i bet i bet that they can name them on one hand but how many animals are in captivity um as a byproduct of that and for me the scottish wildcat you know the government has licenses to trap wildcats in the wild we we did a a freedom of information request and we found out that they had a a universal license to trap any wildcat in scotland for a captive breeding program now that is that is pretty scary, um, hmm. because if you think about the numbers that you've mentioned and and that I mentioned last time, any if you, t- if you take one breeding female out of that population, you're going to have a se- severe impact. Yeah. Um, so this is what I mean, and just because it, it's it's easy to to then see the animal and to promote it, doesn't mean to say it's it's right. And with with wildcats, what I've found is, and with a lot of animals actually, the line of the, if you take the easy route you don't achieve anything. Sometimes it's those hard yards that you need to bite the bullet and say, this is difficult. We accept it, but we're, we're going to go for it. And we're going to conserve the animal in the wild. And our strap line for Wildcat Haven is conserve the wildcat in the wild where it belongs. Now, as I think I said last time, it's a Scottish wildcat, not a Scottish zoo cat. An animal in the zoo fulfills no ecological function. Simple as that. And and also from a welfare point of view, you know we we've tracked some of these animals and they have huge um, territories. Um, and to put one, take one from the wild to a to a captive situation is is wrong on welfare grounds, in my opinion. And I was a a senior lecturer in animal welfare for, for eight eight years, so um, yeah, yeah. And uh, like you're saying about when when government officials are taking those photos, when they are, um, you know trying the captive breeding they're probably not or at least they might feel exempt from doing the efforts that really help uh, making sure that the habitat remains 
uh, making sure that the habitat grows. Um, what was it? A lot of it, a lot of the initiatives you were doing last time were, and I'm still sure still doing, were neutering domestic cats yeah. to make sure that that genetic inbreeding doesn't continue to happen. And at my hunch yeah, is yeah. that doesn't happen as much if, you know, if someone's standing up there with a photo and for a photo op with a wildcat, like you're saying, okay, at that point, a lot of people might think, well, job well done, but there's so much exactly. more that's way more important to be done. Exactly. Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head there. So if you, if you think about how, he, you know, you get the animal in the cage, you take a picture of it, you say you've got a breeding program. That, that all sounds fine. Sure. But then, like you say, that's very that's much easier than than neutering um, domestic cats over hundreds of square miles in rough terrain. But that is what needs to be done because all that would happen is you breed the wildcat kittens. For a start, they're not born in the wild, so they're going to have a very high mortality anyway. And just on this on this point, this is backed up by by science. So there was a study done on a European population of wildcats, uh, the European subspecies of wildcats. They they did a reintroduction. Now get this they had an 80% mortality rate in the first year yeah. of released kittens. Now that is, that's effectively pointless. But what happened is all the attention was taken away from the wild population while this breeding problem was going on. Now we're, we're unfortunately looking like the government is, is trying to go down that same folly in Scotland. And then that is, that is again, a scary prospect, but it, it, it's because if I said to the environment minister, come out with me, come and, come and set um, a humane trap for um, a live trap for a, a domestic cat, you know, let's go and take it to the vets, let's neuter it. Mm-hmm. They're not interested. And, and by the way, when, when you come with me, you've got no chance of seeing an actual wildcat. <laughs> yeah. <That's... laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're, like, okay, they're like, okay, Paul, well, you know, we'll just go down to Edinburgh Zoo and stand next to a cage where mm-hmm. there's a couple of kittens. And and this is this is the this is the thing that I see more and more with conservation of everything. You know, whatever we're doing, you know, the easy routes we're finding out and we're finding out the hard way as well. They're just not working. Mm-hmm. And people need to realise that, you know, conservation is not a luxury. It's not something that are nice to have. It's not something that we you know, we should aspire to in the future. It's something that we we desperately need. Um and and you know, the kind of easy routes of conservation without without grasping the nettle as it were and investing in the right areas and as you say, not only protecting habitat, but we should be expanding habitat. We should be joining habitats up. And that's what our project likes to do. It likes to identify key habitats and then the long term aspiration will be as you say to initially to transfer animals between them until we establish the corridors but the ultimate aspiration how now imagine this is a vision a network of interconnected caledonian pine forests in scotland where wildcats can walk freely mm-hmm. now surely that is a dream and a vision that is worth pursuing sure, but without any wildcats in the wild forget it yeah well and there's so much in that. Like while, while it's so frustrating to know that governments are, at least on the surface, doing something that's, you know, that seems good, right? Whether it's green energy, whether it's, um, at least trying to have a facade that they care for the the wildcats, it's really relieving. And you've been touching on this. It's really relieving that people are seeing through that. 
uh, our people are demanding more of our government officials. It's kind of par for the course for the government to um, just provide the bare minimum or, or, or anywhere near that. But for people to actually request and, and ask for more is very impressive. Have you heard of that? Have you seen like public awareness increase, even though government is uh, kind of going in the other direction? Well, that's the interesting thing people are seeing through this now. So I think we did on the petition and and, and after this, and we, we are literally, we are, I think if I check it in a minute, we're at 950,550. Now we need to get now, now the, 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 and it will go up by the time this, this um, call finishes. Now, interestingly, from a numbers point of view, 950,000 is only 50,000 short of a million. But in mm-hmm. terms of the signal it, med- it sends out, that 50,000 is actually massively important because For a million... Sure. So, so one thing, you know, and, and remind me, Brian, if I forget, everybody who listens to this must go and sign a petition if they agree with what we say. And they must tell all the friends and share on Facebook and everything else because um, we need to get to a million because that, that, that is a game changer. Um, but that's the first thing. But what we found is really interesting. On We could do like, um, we can ask people to, to help us. So, you know, we ask people to contact ministers. And, and I think then we did, we followed up with an information request. And I think, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, who's the first minister of Scotland, I think she got like at least a thousand emails in one day, uh, letters in one day hmm. wow. on this issue. You know, which which is it shows the level of interest. And we have people all the time who, the general public who are who are who was seeing through this this greenwash and want the actual animal to be front and centre and the biodiversity crisis to be addressed along with the climate change crisis, not. They shouldn't be at the expense. You shouldn't be trying to fix the climate change crisis by by <laughs> causing the extinction of right. keystone species, right? I mean, th- th- this is why I think this appear- this campaign is so galvanizing because it's really straightforward. You have a critically endangered population of of wildcats, um, so protect it. Simple as that, you know. And and there should be no ambiguity on 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 whether that's protected or not. We- I find it incredible that we have to ask for this forest to be protected. Yeah, and yeah. by the way, by the way, we got um, senior lawyers to, to ask this, and it was refused by the government, even though all the triggers were met for um, designation. So then when you dig a bit further, you realise that it's because there's financial deals about um, wind farms going in and whatever else. And so, you know, listen... Um, Governments have a, have a it's, 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 it's a tough time. They have tough jobs. It's tough decisions to make. There's tough um, calls to make all the time. But at some point, common sense has to come into, come back into the room. And, you know, in what world can you plant a wind, can you establish a wind farm and simultaneously cause the extinction of, you know, your, your most iconic animal? It's just, I, 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 my brain won't compute that, I'm afraid. Yeah. And it seems like they're really easy to protect if we just leave them alone and allow them to breed without inbreeding with domestic cats. Like it doesn't seem like they need a lot. Like you were saying, they're silent. They're uh, elusive. They kind of do their own thing. They help manage yeah. rodent populations. Exactly. Exactly. They, they, they do all that. They actually, if you think about how many rodents they kill and displace, they, they promote tree growth. They promote sapling growth. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're, See, if you think about that, you know, um, and obviously mice and, and voles, they have their function to play in the ecosystem, and so do the wildcats. But if you have too many field voles or too many wood mice, 
then your seed that falls gets eaten. And the wildcat, it's, it's all part of a balanced ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the wildcat comes in and it does its job very well. And, it, and like, as you say, it's about responsible, we talked about this last time, it's about people in the areas, local communities who generally love the wildcat, being responsible cat owners, which they're generally very happy to do. You know, get your cat neutered, get your cat chipped, um, get your cat disease screened for feline AIDS and leukemia. And, and, and that is effectively that. Um, and, and, and is that too much to ask? I don't, I don't think it is. And, and, you know, the wildcat can't ask for that. So we, we ask, we ask for it. And, and we're not, we're not afraid to, to do, to do that asking. Um, and we're not afraid to, you know, um, go against the establishment, really. I mean, there's lots of um, NGOs in the UK who are well established and, you know, quite well respected who have fallen in line with this kind of nonsensical captive breeding approach and, and turned a blind blind eye to, um, you know, this petition, which is nearly a million people now because they they see it as a political issue. Um, and, it, and, you know, like I say, some sometimes you you have to kind of have a reality check and 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 just deal with deal with the simple facts. You know the UK has lost brown the grizzly, the brown bear, wolves and lynx. The wildcat is the last remaining wow, yeah. significant carnivore. You know you guys in the US you're 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 blessed with you know um, large carnivores. Um, we have I mean people in the UK are scared of a fox. Hmm. You know, I mean, you know, when I go and work with colleagues in, in Romania um, on, on Wildcats um, and they're starting Wildcat projects over there, which is fantastic, and we're working with, with them, you know, that they, they, I'm almost embarrassed sometimes about how that first, how low, that, that first start, we haven't got any major predators. And that the only one we've got is is on the verge of extinction. And I, that, as, as, as someone from the, from the UK, that, I'm 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 ashamed. I'm ashamed that we're we're so intolerant that we can't even share our space with um, these animals. Yeah, I, I I hear you so much on that. Like while we do, you mentioned in the U.S., we do have, um, you know, large predators. We also have a very similar, uh, I, I guess. Um, kind of political issue about it like i'll mention the red wolves because they're relatively close to where i've lived in the past but it's very politicized um and to me like the scottish wildcat is for scotland the red wolf and the wolves are for america like it's a it's a symbol of uh it's just to me it's a very american symbol um at least at least in my mind and yet we're still having these conversations of should we protect them how should we protect them how much land should they be given and yeah i'm I'm with you. I don't see the, um, you know, I, I don't see the other side of it, whereas I try and be as open-minded as I can be. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, you, you know, as a conservationist, you have to be pragmatic and you have to, you know, there are compromises with every, everything. But some, something, sometimes you do have to draw a line in the sand and say, enough's enough, you know. Um, and, and I think, and, and it's also about being, the thing is, we're not, what we're not saying is what, there's, there's a tendency for people to be critical without offering a solution. Yeah. So what we're saying is, um, you're going to spend five million pounds on a captive breeding program. If you give us, if we have three three million pounds, we'd save the wildcat in the wild. <laughs> right. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's it's kind of that um, ridiculous situation where it's actually cheaper to conserve it in the wild 
than it is to to capture it, breed it, and put it back. It's just again, I, I, I you know, common sense at some point has to has to kick in, not just on the Waka issue, but just generally with with the way we're we're dealing with with the natural world. And and you know what what's good is what's really exciting is you know is like you see a lot of young, young people. I mean, I'm forty, nearly forty three now, and um, you know people a lot younger than me. They they're actually very enlightened and they're very they're very excited and they're very optimistic about the future and, and you know that it gives you great cause for optimism um and it's the same with the wildcat you know a lot of a lot of young supporters of our project you know a, a lot of school groups involved a lot of university students wanting to volunteer a lot of people wanting to do phds you know we were building up a big research capacity and these people were not only going to work on wildcats but they're going to go and work on other animals as well so you get this 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 positivity this capacity building so Listen, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not saying everything's rosy in, in the garden, and I wouldn't be doing my job if, if I did. But do I think we can save this animal? Absolutely, hundred percent, yes. And and will we save this animal? A million percent, yes. <laughs> That's good to hear. Because, because because we won't we won't we won't stop until we do it, and and we have enough support and enough public backing to, to get this job done. You know, if it wasn't for us, this forest would have been gone. Um, if it wasn't for us, no one would question the the, the actual policy decisions. So you know the fact that this is now being challenged is is a, is a massive deal, and you know with with this groundswell of support, um, we hope that we can we can we can get the job done, which is which is is not really a big ask. We just want to save the forest with the rarest cat in the world. In <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's so good to hear that you feel good about it. Because I was going to ask you that, like, how do you feel? Um, and I love the fact that you are like a Scottish wildcat, right? And you're indomitable. You, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be taken down, uh, and neither no. is your organization. Um, no, no, no. And it's no. it's tough when you. I mean, but it's got to be tough though when you know when we first spoke. Uh, the biggest threat to them was the genetic extinction, the genetic inbreeding, and now it seems like yeah. habitat loss has kind of superseded that. Um, uh, absolutely where are you with uh i think it was like seven thousand square miles you wanted to attain we were at about like 1500 um i know some of yeah. that is being threatened right now but have you been able to acquire some other lands elsewhere where are we with that trend to try and get to 7k so we are on on the up with it okay but it's been it's been but the the seven thousand square miles is um on the west coast and the, the issue is we when we last spoke, we were focusing heavily on the West Coast because we thought that the the animals in the East were relatively safe. Right. Okay. So, so as as you know, you know, I mean, we have to be. We are we are not a a big. We are not a you know. We're not WWF. We're not a massive organization. We have to target our limited resources to to emergency situations, and we we decided that we have to have a holding position on the West Coast whilst we deal with. Um, the immediate threat to these thirteen wildcats. It would be, it would be almost irresponsible, irresponsible of us, and, and stupid to do otherwise. So, so you know, if we had the level of funding that um, the, the the that the government is putting towards this, we we would be well on the way to the seven thousand square kilometers, and we'd have these coast cats saved. But we have to prioritize our our efforts, our time, and you know, and and our kind of energy. Um, so at the moment we're focusing on getting this population saved and we've got a holding position on, on the West Coast project. That's not to say we're not active there. We're still monitoring. We're still um, making sure that things are, are good. 
Um, but we have to switch focus at the moment. But that's not to say that won't last forever, hopefully. I mean, we are com- we are confident um, that the wind farm development, for example, won't go ahead. It's been rejected now at the local level by, by the local council, which is fantastic. So, you know, like I say, there is cause for optimism. It's just it's just hard yards, um, you know. But, but like I say, it's the hard yards that are the, are the worthwhile yards. If it's easy yards, it's generally not worth it. Well, yeah, absolutely. This is where the the rubber meets the road. Um, Paul, thank you so much uh, for your time, for your indomitable spirit on this, uh, and for all the incredibly hard work you've put into conserving the Scottish wildcat and keeping them wild. Um, We've talked about it a bit, but like, let's do it again. Like, how can people help, whether they're in Scotland or around the world, how can people help preserve these uh, incredible species? So there's there's always there's always I probably said the same thing last time. There's there's two ways, um, two things the wildcat needs. It's awareness. So tell everybody you know about Scottish wildcat. Tell everybody you know there's a cat in Scotland that is the rarest cat on planet Earth. Uh, show them pictures of it. It's it's a beautiful animal. Um, I'll, if you're happy, Brian, I'll send you links to our Facebook page Please. and to the petition. Because I'd really like, honest, honestly, everybody who, re- who listens to this, to this podcast, please, the next thing you do, sign our petition and then share it. Please do that with everybody you know. Um, let's get to a million people. And the other thing is funding. Is there someone out there who who has Scottish heritage? Or even if you've not, or whatever, if, if you can spare some funds, go to our website www.wildcathaven.com and um, support us if you can with whatever you can we appreciate it and we use it directly for, for conservation work so it's the same old um, thing for us you know we our, our project is a template driven project it's about neutering protecting habitat finding wildcats rinse and repeat it's entirely scalable the more funds we have with the quicker we do, do the job the quicker we save the wildcat so you know we we always get great response and great help from the US whenever we ask and so um, the other thing I should say is we've, we've got a scheme now where you can sponsor uh, adopt a wildcat basically so people can can get um, a sponsorship pack an adoption pack for Scottish wildcats as a gift pack so actually they're, they're a really cool way of raising funds and also awareness so if you want to head to our website and, and get someone you know who's a cat lover or into conservation a unique gift then then come and pay us a visit. But, you know, we appreciate the time to speak to you you guys over there. Um, the US is a very important support support base for us. So, you know, we're happy to speak to you guys anytime. Absolutely, Paul. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. And I'm just, uh, I'm smiling thinking of someone adopting a wildcat, which is like literally, you were saying the, I mean, other animals can be tamed. These cannot be tamed. So you're, there's an opportunity for you to adopt one of the, honestly, one of the wildest uh, creatures out there in the world. It's pretty cool yeah. to say. Yeah, no, we, we you, you'll get like a certificate with you know you can nominate you, you put someone's name on, yeah, like a loved one's name on it, and then you know you get a certificate <laughs> saying you're you're adopting a Scottish wildcat, and you get a picture of it and an information pack and a, a wildcat pin badge, and you know what I mean. And so you right, can, yeah. so it's a way of raising awareness and generating funds, and it, and it, and it, and yeah, it's it's a way of of um getting the work out there and, and getting people to care about it. It's only, you know, you need to understand and fall in love with these animals. And, and uh, you know, the wildcat is the ancestor of all domestic cats. You know, people love cats. So surely we can save the ancestor of domestic cats. If we can't, 
then you know what's that saying about about us yeah absolutely well paul thank you so much i really appreciate it i'll share what uh whatever you have far and wide and you know obviously looking forward to getting to a million i know it will happen and i, I appreciate your uh, your confidence with this for sure thanks a lot brian for the, for the opportunity get everyone out there sharing sharing this petition and and supporting our work and we'll catch up um with hopefully next time we catch up brian we'll be able to say we have now established the first scottish wildcat reserve in scotland that's what we want to do <laughs> i'm looking forward to it absolutely well thank you so much paul i appreciate it all the best go well thank you brian cheers thanks for joining if you like that episode feel free to rate view and subscribe that actually really helps if you haven't seen it yet take a look at the accompanying blog don't forget your boots.com where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time, take care.